is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, Managing Editor of the Catholic Review. Flannery O'Connor is recognized as one of the most respected writers of the 20th century. Known for her exploration of complex moral questions, O'Connor's Catholic faith and her own personal experience of suffering often illuminated her work. Here to talk about O'Connor is Dr. Angela Alemo O'Donnell, a writer, poet, and professor at Fordham University in New York and one of the world's foremost authorities on Flannery O'Connor. O'Donnell is a former longtime professor at Loyola University, Maryland in Baltimore, who worshiped at St. Francis of Assisi in Baltimore. Here's our conversation with Dr. Angela Alemo O'Donnell. Angela Alemo O'Donnell, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Flannery O'Connor has been one of your main areas of academic research for many years now, and I know you've written extensively on the author. How how did you become acquainted with Flannery O'Connor, and and what do you find so compelling about her? Uh, Well, I first encountered O'Connor as an undergraduate um, when I was at uh, Penn State. I was a freshman, and I was in a literature class, and we read her signature story, A Good Man is Hard to Find. Um, and uh, for many members of our listening audience who have read O'Connor or, or who know anything about her, uh, that story really packs quite a punch. Um, it's, it's, it's hilariously funny, but it, it's also very grim. Some very dark and unexpected things happen in it. Uh, so when I read O'Connor for the first time, I was really bowled over by the strangeness of her voice. Uh, this combination of comedy and tragedy, um, and uh, I did not really know what to make of her at all. Uh, She was this Southern writer. Um, I was not a Southerner, Um, and uh, she had a a kind of an aesthetic and a sense of humor that I didn't quite fully understand, but I wanted to know more. Uh, So that really started my interest in O'Connor. And then I was able to, as you know, as luck, uh, as things turn out, oftentimes I found myself going to graduate school in the South uh, at the University of North Carolina and uh, had the opportunity to study O'Connor there. Uh, and it was there, really, that I began to um, full, understand her more fully, uh, understand her southernisms. Uh, but also uh, it, it became clear to me that she was a Catholic for the first time. Uh, and suddenly all of the, uh, some of the events that would happen in her stories, when I could see them through the lens of Catholicism, began to make a kind of sense to me that they had not made before. Um, and so I enjoyed studying O'Connor at the graduate level uh, because there, here was this author who had a very different sensibility from mine in some ways, but in other ways, because she was a Catholic and we both had the same kind of worldview, um, I began to understand her much more deeply and, and wanted to know more about her and, and start, really started writing about her as a graduate student. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Flannery O'Connor being from the South. Could you, could you tell us a little bit more about who she was? Uh, who was Flannery O'Connor? 
Sure. She was born in 1925 uh, in Savannah, Georgia, um, not very far from uh, on Lafayette Square, the kind of Irish section of Savannah, Irish Catholic section of Savannah. Uh, and she grew up there, uh, going to Catholic school there, going to the church, uh, the cathedral, St. John the Divine, was right across the way from her house. Uh, she was actually baptized there. Uh, and when you go visit Flannery's house uh, in Savannah, and when you look out the window near where her crib was, she would see the spires uh, of the cathedral. So her life was very much regulated as a child by the church, the church bells going to Mass regularly. Her family was very, uh, they were very devout Catholic. She lived there until she was about 13 years old, uh, and then the family moved uh, to uh, rural Georgia, Milledgeville, uh, which is where uh, Flannery's mother's people came from, in part because her dad had a hard time getting, uh, ma- maintaining work in Savannah. Um, he was beginning to become ill from lupus. Uh, so the family moved to Milledgeville, and then Flannery grew up there from her teenage years on. She... Uh, after she she stayed in Milledgeville until and she went to college there as well, uh, but then she went to the Iowa Writers Workshop uh, to get her master's uh, in fine arts, and she spent a couple of years there and met some very influential people while she was there that helped her on her career as a writer. After that, she went to the Yaddo, um, very famous uh, uh, artist colony up in upstate New York, and there she made other acquaintances with people who were in the kind of New York literary community that would help her with her work and help her to get published. Um, so she found herself at 25 years old with, you know, the world was her oyster. She was working on her first novel. She had a publisher. Everything looked like it was going great for her. Uh, and then she began to get sick, and she was diagnosed with lupus. Uh, and at the time, they really didn't have very good medication for lupus, so that meant uh, that she was really going to be disabled for the rest of her life. So she had to go back to rural Georgia, uh, live with her mother on a farm uh, called Andalusia, uh, and she lived there for the next 14 years of her life, did all of her writing there, uh, and then died at the age of 39 in 1964. I, I read online that Alice McDermott once said that it was precisely O'Connor's experience of that, of that sickness and suffering that made her the kind of writer she was. And do you agree with that? And, and how does that kind of overlap with her Catholicism and, and the Catholic view of suffering? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, first, Flannery would very much object to that. She did not like the idea of people talking about her lupus. It was something that was very private to her, and um, she really wanted to keep that out of any kind of literary legacy. Um, but, of course, as we know, as embodied human beings, we are most definitely shaped by things like illness, uh, and I think that there's no question that Flannery was. Uh, for one thing, she knew that she was not going to live a long life, uh, she saw that her father had died young of lupus, and the doctors pretty much, you know, let her know that she was not going to live a long life. So she really knew that she needed to get her work done. Uh, she needed, And she did work diligently every day. She got up, she went to Mass, 7 o'clock Mass with her mother, she came home and had breakfast, and then she locked herself into her room for two to three hours, which was about as long as she could manage before she would get tired, and worked very diligently. Um, and produced 31 great stories in the course of her lifetime and uh, two completed novels and one partially completed novel. Um, So her illness definitely lit a fire under her. Her illness also gave her a taste of what it was like to live as a disabled person and also to live a life of suffering. Uh, So many of O'Connor's characters encounter various kinds of suffering. They, They encounter the cross over and over again. Uh, and I think it's 
pretty clear um, when you read O'Connor's letters um, that she encountered the cross every day as well. Um, her own physical suffering, her own you know anxiety, uh, even though she kept it at bay with humor, uh, it's obviously still there as well about her illness. So, uh, so she knew something of suffering uh, because of her illness. Uh, in one of her letters, she says that be, being sick is like going to a, a country, a strange country, where you have to go by yourself and no one can follow you. Uh, and she said it's more instructive than a trip to Europe uh, because you learn so much about life and about death and about yourself. I think that the, the lupus really in many ways was responsible for making Flannery, shaping her into the kind of writer that she was. Uh, so Alice McDermott has it right. <laughs> Is her Catholicism expressed overtly in her writings, or is it more in a subtle way or, or some combination of the two? You know, it's very interesting. I, I would say it seems to be subtle at first. As I mentioned, you know, when I read her first story, uh, her, when I first read her story as an undergraduate, I had no idea that she was a Catholic, and I was quite surprised to find out that she was. Um, and But once you know that she's a Catholic, then you cannot help but see all of her stories through that lens. Uh, and it's not as though O'Connor writes about Catholics. Uh, she really doesn't. Only a couple of her stories have Catholic characters in them. She writes about the people that she knew uh, and that she saw around her living in rural Georgia, most of whom, of course, were evangelical Protestants. So um, so definitely, you know, religion does enter into the stories in various ways, but not, not specifically Catholicism. What makes O'Connor's stories very recognizably Catholic, to my mind, is the worldview uh, that she expresses in them. Uh, the absolute um, the centrality of the incarnation, uh, the fact that the world is a suffering world and a broken world, uh, but it's also still a, a world that is the creation of good and it is beloved by God. God inserted himself into the world through the incarnation. Um, and even though human beings suffer, that suffering is always redemptive. And human beings are constantly being offered grace, the opportunity for grace, uh, if they're just uh, wise enough uh, to recognize the offer and accept it. Uh, so all of, these, all of the scenarios in O'Connor's stories are about very deeply flawed, sinful people who uh, encounter their sin, the reality of their sin, and are sometimes really broken by it, uh, and are given the opportunity then to embrace that brokenness uh, and embrace the grace that is being uh, being offered to them, or in the case of some of her characters, to reject it uh, and to ch- choose choose another path, a path that is not life-giving but quite the opposite. So once you know this about O'Connor, you begin to see this, these patterns emerge in her stories again and again. For those who have never read O'Connor before, what works of hers would you suggest that they start off with? Um, also a great question. I would start out with uh, the story that I first mentioned, A Good Man is Hard to Find. It is her signature story. It is, I, I will not give it away because I don't want to offer any spoilers. <laughs> um, but uh, it is a very shocking story. Uh, and, you know, O'Connor is not for everyone. Uh, she's not to everyone's taste. Uh, there are sometimes violent events that take place in her stories and, and people are disturbed by them. Uh, but this is quite intentional on O'Connor's part. Uh, she says that um, my characters' heads are so hard that it takes something like a violent eruption into their lives for God to get their attention. 
Uh, and I, I think this is true of many of us. Um, I mean, my goodness, it was true of St. Paul, right? He had to be struck off his horse and struck blind before he was able to see. Um, Flannery stories are full of St. Paul-like characters who are terribly in need of um, uh, in need of conversion, and the only thing that is really going to be strong enough to do it are these kinds of violent events. So a good man is hard to find. Uh, is a very good story to start with. I also recommend one of her most beautiful and powerful stories is a story called Revelation. Uh, it was one of the last stories that O'Connor wrote, and in it she deals with, again, another deeply flawed character who is very much in need of grace uh, and, um, and give, is, is given that offer of grace and a, and a very, very powerful and unforgetting, uh, unforgettable scenario. Uh, and for those readers who are Catholic, I really recommend her story, uh, A Temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, it's one of the few stories that O'Connor wrote that does contain a Catholic, Catholic characters. Uh, and the main character is a, a little girl, a very smart little girl, uh, who suffers from the sin of intellectual pride. And she has her own little conversion experience, and it's quite evident in that story that she is a version of Flannery herself. Um, so it's very telling in terms of O'Connor's sense of her own uh, shortcomings, her, own, her, her ways in which she, she needs grace. Uh, and has encountered it in her life. Well, our guest today is Angela Alemo O'Donnell, a writer, a poet, and a professor at Fordham University in New York, and also a former professor at Loyola University, Maryland, in Baltimore. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the recent controversies that have swirled around Flannery O'Connor and her legacy. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. We'll be back in a moment. With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit MercyRidge.com. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, and today we're speaking with Angela Alemo O'Donnell, one of the world's foremost experts on Flannery O'Connor. Angela is a former professor at Loyola University, Maryland, and now teaches at Fordham University in New York. Angela as you know so well, there's been some controversy around Flannery O'Connor in recent years. In fact, uh, two years ago, Loyola University, Maryland, in Baltimore, where you spent so many years as a professor, decided to remove Flannery O'Connor's name from a residence hall. Uh, could you talk about that controversy and, and, and some of the issues that have come up regarding race and Flannery O'Connor? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, that was a very unfortunate incident. Uh, and I felt somewhat responsible for it uh, because I had just published a book that was released in June, uh, May, late May, early June of 2020, called um, uh, Radical Ambivalence, Race in Flannery O'Connor. Uh, it's the first book, uh, book-length study of Flannery O'Connor and race. 
Uh, and one of the things that I discovered when I wrote that book, I went to the archives and I read letters written by Flannery O'Connor that had never been published before uh, and got permission to publish an excerpt from these letters. Uh, and in them, what one discovers is O'Connor had very mixed feelings about the civil rights movement. She had very mixed feelings about integration. She had grown up in a segregated world, the South, uh, in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, and she was concerned about um, the ways in which the South would be radically altered by these huge social changes that were sweeping through. Um, this is, you know, I was quite shocked by some of the things that O'Connor said because, of course, I have a 21st century American sensibility uh, and really did not want my favorite writer to express ideas that sounded racist. Um, but I also wanted, felt that it's important to be honest and for the world to, to know the truth and the full picture of these writer, this particular writer and all of our writers, really. Uh, so I wrote this book in which I deal with O'Connor's, you know, the, the, the kinds of remarks that she makes in her letters that could easily be seen as being racist remarks, um, but also deal with the, the, the complex um, stories in which she deals with race in very nuanced and subtle ways. Uh, and in her stories, O'Connor is always unmasking white superiority and white privilege, exposing her white characters, her white racist characters, uh, to judgment. So I was very interested by this person um, who, in her private correspondence and in her private mind, you know, was shaped by the racist culture that she grew up in and was trying very hard to fight against it. Um, and the way in which she fought against it, or one of the ways in which she fought against it, was by writing these stories. Um, the reason the book is called Radical Ambivalence is because she was of two minds, or at least two minds, about the question of race in America. Uh, so I wrote that book. It took me a couple of years. It was a very, it's a very nuanced consideration of these issues. Then uh, an article came out uh, in uh, The New Yorker in May, June, um, and uh, it, it talked about O'Connor's racism, and it was basically um, uh, the, 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 the reason for the article was my book, basically. Uh, and the, the, the article does deal with my book in about nine, nine uh, different paragraphs. But unfortunately, the title of that article was How Racist is Flannery O'Connor? Uh, and the writer of that article basically goes after O'Connor, um, clearly judging her according to the standards that you know, we have, um, now, uh, our, our expectations, and not offering any of the kind of nuanced consideration of this, uh, this ambivalence uh, in O'Connor, which really we have to consider if we really want to get to the bottom of who this complex person was. Well, unfortunately, that article set off a firestorm of controversy um, in all the social media <laughs> land, um, and I actually received a letter from a student at Loyola um, asking me, she said, I'm very glad to see that you have written a book on Flannery O'Connor and race, uh, and I w wonder if you would help me to get the name of Flannery O'Connor removed from one of our residence halls at Loyola. I was, of course, appalled uh, because the last thing that I wanted to do uh, was have O'Connor's, you know, her reputation be, you know, besmirched at a Catholic school of all places. And I said, no, I, I did not think that was a good idea. I really could not help with that enterprise. The student went about it anyway. She, she designed a petition. A lot of people who didn't know who Flannery O'Connor even was signed it, <laughs> uh, and they presented it to the president of the university. 
And the president, of course, was in a tough spot, you know, because this article had come out, um, this very unnuanced treatment of O'Connor, um, and almost a denunciation of her. And then once the student got a number of, you know, signatures, it was very difficult for him to retain the name. Um, but I tried to, um, I, I got a petition, uh, my own letter going, um, and, and with a number of Flannery O'Connor scholars and also some writers, including African-American novelist Alice Walker, um, who, you know, said that Flannery needs, one of the, the, the remarkable things about Flannery's life is you, that you can see her as she goes on becoming more and more aware, more and more woke to the reality of racism. Um, and it, there's no question in my mind, and I think in Alice Walker's mind, uh, that had she lived past the age of 39, uh, had she lived past the uh, year 1964, which was the year the first Voting Rights Act was uh, passed, she would most definitely have become more enlightened about matters of race and the civil rights movement. But unfortunately, she, you know, death took her before she, she got there. So I, I tried to save off this very rash decision uh, but unfortunately, the uh, president went ahead anyway and had the name removed from the building. But, you know, we did get um, an, a large number of people signing that letter. I can't remember how many hundred we had now. Uh, and, uh, you know, there there really was a sense that this was an unfortunate thing to do um, and uh, and totally unnecessary. I think it was a teachable moment in many ways because it would have been a great opportunity for students on campus to read O'Connor and to look squarely at who she was in much the same way I did, you know, when I, you know, wrote the books that I wrote, um, to come to terms with the complexity of writers who are living in the midst of their own time and place and have the, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, adopt, inherit the prejudices of their time and place, but who struggle against them. So the, the key in this story to me is O'Connor's struggle against the prejudice that she inherited. Um, because let's face it, all white Americans inherit a kind of prejudice from the culture that we live in, which is a very racist culture in many ways, the institutions that we are part of, which are racist in many ways. Some of us come from families that are openly racist, some racist in very quiet and subtle ways that they might not even be aware of. Um, so none of us is, is pure. <laughs> none of us escapes uh, from this, this dreadful influence of racism. Uh, so I think O'Connor is really a wonderful writer for our time because we do see her becoming aware of it and struggling against it in a very creative way. Uh, and creating very um, powerful fiction that deals with it head on. Uh, so I think to have her name removed and to have it at a university uh, and have it be suggested that she's a writer that whose reputation, you know, we want to hide her from view rather than bring her to the forefront sends our students exactly the wrong message. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think it was really an unfortunate episode. Um, Father Brian Lenane, a Jesuit priest who was the president of Loyola at that time, was was the person who made that decision in, in consultation with, with some other folks there. But I had a chance to talk to him about this issue at the time, and, and he expressed great respect for O'Connor's writing. And he also noted that the topic of race in her writing is a lot more complex and nuanced than some of the protesters in, in the way that they were characterizing it. But he also said that some of the students who lived in that building may have found it unwelcoming to be in a building named for someone who had expressed racist, uh, racist views at, at some point in her life. 
what would you say to that to that to any student who might find it uncomfortable to live in a building named for O'Connor? Well, you know, I find it. Um, I you know love a lot of writers <laughs> from uh, you know periods before the 21st century. Um, none of those writers would ever be able to live up to our standards of um, purity when, when it comes to matters of racism, when it comes to matters of sexism, their attitudes towards um, gay people, their attitudes towards people of different ethnicities. Um, writers are not saints. They never have been, and they never will be. Um, there are a few exceptions to that rule, but for the most part, they're really not saints. If you name a building after a writer um, or any public figure, it has to be understood that the whole person <laughs> is is involved in that, right? Um, and that, that person is going to have flaws. I, my, my sense of feeling safe in buildings, um, you know, I've I've lived in and worked in many a building that were that, that are named for people who are, were deeply sexist and sometimes sexist in, in sexist in very um, uh, very violent ways. Uh, but you know, I it, it's kind of an understanding that human beings are deeply flawed people, uh, and uh, I I I think O'Connor was if this had not happened in the year 2020. Uh, after May of 2020, uh, when our country was basically on fire, and for good reason, uh, because of the murder of George Floyd, uh, there was just such a um, such a uh, understandable backlash against anybody uh, who could be classified as a racist, um, and and uh, and for very good reason, a sense of fear, you know, of of institutions that might seem to support racism. Um, I think that in that particular moment, I fully understand the students who might say that, and I also fully understand uh, why President Lenane made the decision that he did. But I don't necessarily think, again, that it, it was the right decision, uh, or the let's not let's say the best decision that could have been made under those circumstances. Because mm-hmm. um, again, I think it's a teachable moment, uh, and all of the buildings that all of us work in are, are many of them at least, are named for people who. Uh, you know, are deeply problematic in this way and in other ways as well. Our guest today has been Angela Alima O'Donnell from Fordham University in New York. Angela, thanks again so much for being here. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.